This morning, we are jumping straight into the teaching, and Wayne is going to be sharing with us. I've got a reading from 1 Timothy 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Father, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you very much, Daniel. It's uh, very good to see you all this morning and uh, to, to know that you were blessed last Sunday as well with uh, the ministry of Adam. And uh, just whisper, if you were here last Sunday, tell the person next to you, what did Adam, what was his big idea? What was Adam's big idea? Whisper to the person next to you. Oh. If you said something like, Seek God in the secret place. I'd give you, I'd give you top marks for that. So you give yourself a little pat on the back, a little celebration, a little high five, if you, if you, if you did. And and if you were not with us last Sunday, I encourage you to go back onto our YouTube channel and and pick up that teaching. It really was significant. Uh, I thought really powerful word to us as a church. And as Daniel said, uh, we were we were away. And um, I got home from work on Thursday afternoon and my wife casually said, oh, I've booked us away for a couple of nights. It's been pretty busy. thought we'd just get away for a couple of nights. And um, she had control of the navigation and the address and I just drove the vehicle and then we got to the, the destination and she said, oh, turn in here. Here it is. And I turned in. It's this two-story house with a, with a balcony and there's all these crazy people jumping up and down in animal onesies on the balcony. I'm like... <laughs> Oh, who are these people? That was my first thought. I was like, well, this is going to be an unusual weekend. And then my second thought was, oh, it's my family. <laughs> and um, they had pulled off a big surprise. And, uh, yep, and having told me we were going to be away for two nights, we are actually away for three nights, and my wife had packed some extra jocks for me. <laughs> so, what a good woman. Amen. Praise the Lord. So... Uh, so that is sort of a bit of a funny introduction in, in a way to what I want to uh, focus on this morning, which hopefully my thing is up there, yeah, uh, servant steward rulers of Eden, and uh, this is not a phrase original to me, but it, uh, um, I'm one pig, pinched it and using it today. Our world is really fractured. None of you need to any convincing about that. Um, the relationships between men and women are problematic. There's tension on both sides of that equation. There's tension in marriages, there's tension in the workplace, there's tension everywhere. What, what I want us to think about this morning is, what's God looking for? What was in the heart of God right from the very beginning? And what is Christ restoring? They're the questions. And so I'm giving, you the, I'm giving you the end as well as at the beginning as I will at the end. That in the heart of God at the very beginning is this idea 
that male and males and females would be servant steward rulers of Eden together, partnering, an equal partnership. We were singing a few little while ago about let heaven come to earth. In heaven, are the men in charge or the women in charge? I mean, under God, right? Let's, let's not usurping God. So under God, like in heaven, are the men in charge and the, or the women in charge? If you said neither, I'll give you a gold star. I want to open up, let's open our Bibles to Genesis 1 as well. We've had the reading from 1 Timothy 2. I want us to look at these few verses from Genesis 1, 26 to 31. I want to encourage you um, to, to invest time in understanding particularly the first uh, 12 chapters of Genesis. It's really a lifelong pursuit. I'll, I'll put it this way, you will not fully understand the rest of the Bible if you do not understand Genesis 1 to 12, because that gives us all kinds of foundational information and material. So verse 26, Genesis 1, then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So who's the they will reign? Both of them, male and female, whoever comes as images. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Note to self, you need a male and a female to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So here we've got, this is where everything begins. Now shortly thereafter, it goes quite pear-shaped. And we've, we've had some conversations in recent week, haven't we, about the three rebellions. Where do we find the three rebellions in the Bible? Genesis 3, 6... 11. This is basketball for 10. When you're doing numbers as an umpire. So Genesis 3, 6 and 11 show us that these, these relationships, they became corrupted. And so there's this conflict going on at, at a human level and also between, between humans and God. There's enmity all around the place is one of the words that we look for. And we still see that today. What I want to say to you this morning is when we come into Christ, we become part of a God's new creation, God's new humanity. It's, it's, Jesus undoes the effects of the curse of sin and death. He undoes the rebellion that's gone before. He shows us what it's like to be, to be fully alive in God. Such a crucial thing. That's what he wants. So within every local uh, congregation, every local church, the way that males and females interact... And I understand that, that there's a journey of maturity and discipleship and things like that. So I understand. Let's just lay that to rest here, first of all, so they don't have to keep repeating it. There's process, there's transformation, there's unlearning of behaviors, there's unlearning of thought patterns, there's realigning what I think about with the scriptures, which requires me to examine the scriptures, be a student of the scriptures, seek and find out. It requires me to unpick the cultural baggage that I've inherited. All these kind of things have to happen in this process. But actually what God is wanting is for the church, the body of Christ... To, to display his wisdom 
to the, not to the ruling powers and principalities and to the rest of humanity. This is what male-female relationships are intended to be like. That's what he wants. And we all understand that we're at different places and some of us are in great pain over the treatment we've received from other people. Some of the marriages in this room are in trouble as well because there's, there's failure to live this out and you've inflicted wounds on one another. So please don't hear that I'm, that I'm somehow disconnected from what you're experiencing, but listen to also the vision that God has. He wants transformation. He wants, if you're married, he wants your marriage, and if you are two Christians married together, or even if you are the only Christian, he wants you to, to work towards his glory being seen in your relationship. That's what we're after. That's what he's after. That's what you ought to be after. So, oh, okay, let's just go somewhere dangerous. For those of you that are guests here this morning, welcome. I'm not known for being indirect. <laughs> One of the problems that emerged very quickly is male passivity. Every man in this room, one of the wars you have to win is the war against passivity in your own heart to become the man that God created you to be so that you fulfill and reveal him to the women around about you so that you use your strength to protect the women around about you, not do anything destructive to them. This war against passivity is an ongoing war. It's a war in sense you, you keep winning victory after victory, but it's easy to sink back into a passivity. It's, and I think particularly for Australian men, because she'll be right, mate. She'll be right. No, she won't. If you're passive, she won't be right. So, men, you've got a war against this. And the, the, what see happen, though, and this, was my, this is my own part of my own journey and experience, is that because I'm a nice Christian man, I was passive-aggressive which means I was passive until you backed me into a corner where I'd nowhere to go and then I'd become aggressive because that was my only mechanism to deal with my passivity, to shut you down. It was one of the things that Julie and I had to work on. I had to work on it. I was fortunate enough she would hold a mirror up to me And she would call out my misbehaviour, my sin, for what it is. She wouldn't use fancy psychological labels, which I won't use any at this moment because I'm bound to get in trouble with someone. But, but she would call out my passive-aggressive behaviour. It's a problem. It's a big problem. Nice Christian men in public, are sometimes some of the worst human beings on the planet in private. And I know that I'm speaking to some of the pain in the room of the women because you've experienced that. And I'm sorry that you have. I can't fix that. You can just say, men, we have got to rise up. We have got to war against the passivity in our spirits so that we lay hold of, we accept responsibility. We have to reject passivity, reject passivity and we have to accept responsibility. That we are responsible for our behaviour. We are responsible for the words that come out of our mouth. We are responsible for, for the thoughts that we are thinking. 
not our wife, not any other woman or not any other human being, a male either as well. It's the same thing. Okay. One of the things that uh, we have talked about quite a bit in the history of New Life Church, but we haven't talked about it for a little bit, so I wanted to refresh your memories, is what we call the circles of absolutes. How many of you have seen the circles of absolutes before? Many of you have, some of you haven't, so we'll put them up on the screen for you. So this is a a way of understanding you have a belief system, I have a belief system, every, every human being has a belief system. We want a belief system that aligns with the scriptures and the belief system that aligns with the scriptures is what we call a life-giving belief system. In other words, it makes me, I, I have life within me and I'm able to give life away to other people. That's what I want. So this is it. So if, if your belief system does not release the life of God in you and through you to other people, you, that, that's a warning sign. That's like a red light in the dashboard or the red light in the warning sign or battery, battery power thing or something like that. So the absolutes are in the center. Now the absolutes of, a, of your belief system ought to be things that apply to all people in all cultures, past, present and future. In the center, that's the absolutes. And that's what you want to be in agreement on with other believers. Then outside of that, you've got interpretations. In other words, we go, well, we read a verse. So we've read several verses this morning. And we go, this is what that verse means. And then when we put several different verses and passages together across the scriptural framework, we come up with what we call deductions. We go, well, all these verses say the same thing. Therefore, this and this. We have deductions. But that's a further out. And I don't have to agree. Not everybody has to agree with my deductions. And not everybody has to agree with my interpretations. But then beyond all that, I've got cultural preferences. I've got personal norms, things that I prefer. But I don't have to agree with every... I don't have to require other people to agree with me. Let's give some wide examples on subjective values and personal preferences and feelings. You are probably not here today because you prefer a worship experience that is rote and liturgical. You could be, but you may not be. Because that's not the way that we do things here. Is that, does that mean that people who read a liturgy out of a book and pray out of a book, are they wrong and are we right? No, it does not. If what they're reading and what they're praying is Christ-exalting, scripturally-based, no problem. We don't have to agree on that. But this is my preference. And I can argue a lot, if you want argument, that worship should be a full-body experience. That all the instructions in the scriptures apply to all of us. Clap your hands, shout for joy, jump for joy, leap before the presence of the Lord. But I'm not going to force you to do that. That would be wrong. Force people to do something they don't want to do. I don't think even God does that. It's always invitational. It's always voluntary. Okay, so moving right along. So... So when you think, okay, for a person to be in Christ, now I'm using that phrase in Christ because that's the phrase that Paul most often uses in all of his letters. He talks about being in Christ. And a person in Christ receives eternal life, etc., etc. So for a person to be in Christ, what is the absolute that's required of there? Just whisper that to the person next to you. Just tell the person, what's the absolute? That would apply to... People, all people in all cultures, past, present and future. So it doesn't matter whether they've lived in the past or whether they'll live in the future or they're living right now, this will apply to them. How do you get to be in Christ? If you said something that included the words of giving your allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord and obeying him, I would say... You nailed it. Giving your allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord and obeying him 
is the absolute. So that's what I look for in a person that claims to be a disciple of Jesus. I look for evidence that that person has not just given once, but their daily allegiance is to Christ and they are growing in obeying him in everything. I think it's as simple as that. There's, I don't, so it's not about whether you've prayed a sinner's prayer, because you may have, but you may not have. But you can, you, it's about where's your allegiance, right? Let me just leap, make multiple leaps of logic, not logic, multiple leaps through the scriptures. When we get to the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, and we have, we have the archetypal figure of what we call the Antichrist, the one who is an alternative to Christ and who opposes Christ, which is Christ as in Jesus. It boils down to allegiance. Who, where is your allegiance? When the pressure comes, where is your allegiance? Does your allegiance stay with Jesus of Nazareth or does it move to someone else? Or something else. Okay, so that's the absolute. So pretty much everything else is up for one of the other circles, right? Even what I'm speaking, even what we're speaking about this morning, which is this idea, which I believe is a biblical idea, that men and women are created equally in the image of God. And I believe that the Bible does not forbid any function and gift from women, doesn't withhold it. Any biblical function and office from women, in terms of leadership, there's no gifts of the Spirit that are withheld from women. If you can find one, you can show that to me. But part of what we have to have a conversation about is about what is leadership. And one of the questions that I continue to put to people is when we're learning about leadership, we need, to we need to look at a Trinitarian model. We need to understand how do the Father, Son and Spirit function together? Like who's in charge of that ship? Is it the Father? Is it the Son? Is it the Spirit? Or are they all working together and they mutually submissive, submitted to one another and, and cooperating together? This is what God is after. This is why the church ought to be the most countercultural community on the planet. Because we are living from a Trinitarian perspective and understanding of submission. And that submission is mutual that men are submitted and women are submitted as well. So leadership definition, if we can move on to our next slide here. I'm using this definition, that a leader is a person with God-given capacity and with God-given responsibility, influencing a specific group of God's people towards God's purposes for the group. So some key words there. Leadership isn't about power. It isn't about authority. It's about influencing people to obey God. That's the core of Christian leadership. But, you, but you, a leader has to have a God-given capacity to do that. If leadership was easy, you would all do it. Leadership is complex and it is becoming even more complex as our world continues to move further away from obedience to God and it continues to have crises after crises after crises. How many of you are tired of crises? You just want to get over it. Could we just get over this? You know, but all we get over one and all of a sudden there's a new crisis that's facing us in one way or another. Okay, so part of what leaders do is solve problems. That's part of what you do as a leader. Uh, no one should become a leader who, who doesn't want to solve problems and doesn't want to take heat for the, for the <laughs> solutions that they offer either. <laughs> oh, it's easy to, to point fingers, be armchair critics. So, yeah, and even at the moment, look at what's going on in our culture where questions that used to be simple have now become highly complex. A couple of examples. What's a man? What's a woman? 
Now, some of you are thinking, Wayne, the answer is simple. A man is an adult human male. A woman is an adult human female. That's easy to answer. So why is there so much controversy about that answer in our culture? Why is there crises? Why is there forms being changed for people to fill in and all sorts of alterations on birth certificates and things being offered to people? That's just one crisis. And there are certain places and contexts where if I gave this answer that I gave to you publicly, I would be, I would have, I'd be attacked physically. People would rush me, attack me and beat me because they don't like my answer. They don't even want to have a conversation or a debate with me. I'm just wrong and I need to be punished. So what I'm saying is leadership is complex there are crises going on so you need to have a god-given capacity and you need to understand you have a god-given responsibility as a leader so now what i mean by that is i live under the shadow of i will give an account to god for the leadership that i give you for the way that i treat you i will give an account to god I will be responsible for that. You won't be responsible for how I treat you. I will be responsible for that. I, I will be responsible, so bring it into a marriage context, I'm responsible as a husband. I'm responsible for God for the way that I treat my wife, for the way that I treat my children and my grandchildren and so on and so on. I'm responsible. So every man in this room, you are responsible before God. You ought to live with this. It ought to be some, a gift of the fear of the Lord upon your life that you will be, you, God will have a conversation with you. Now, if some of you could be freaking out a little bit, could be thinking, well, hang on, I've given my allegiance to Jesus, so there's no, there's no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus and there's no final judgment. I'd just say, read the book, read all the books, the 66 books, and you'll see that God has a conversation with every single human being, which is not necessarily, are you in Christ or not? It's an evaluation conversation about life and how you lived and the words and behavior and all those kind of things. A leader is specific, leading a specific group of God's people. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm not responsible to lead the entire church across the world. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> I'm just responsible for this group of people. Okay, because this is who God's entrusted to me and I'm responsible to influence you towards God's purposes. What does God want us to be in this community? He wants us to be a people that display him, that, that are salty. He wants us to be salty people, right? Not crusty. <laughs> salty meaning something that causes pe people go, wow, I want to get a taste of that flavor but also salty in the sense of it stirs up thirst. People are like, why are those people like that? Why are their families healthy, their relationships, you know, all these kind of things? Okay, so what we have to do is be Bereans and we have to read our Bible from that perspective. And so when we think about some of the roles, if you like, that women can and can't do in the church and... Let's be blunt, there isn't any conversation about what men can do in a church. Not that I'm aware of. Is someone aware of, is there a conversation going on about what men can do in the church? Can men be senior pastors? Can men be elders? Is there a conversation going on like that? I'm not aware of one. But there is a conversation going on about what roles women can do. Now I want to say, okay, uh, could we go back to the circles one? So we're in, when we talk about women, we're in actually interpretations and deductions. We are not in absolutes, right? There are men and women who love God as much as I do, love the Bible as much as I do, that would say women cannot do certain things, right? Now, if they say to me, well, because you hold a different point of view on that, because you think the Bible says something different 
that's an absolute, I can't have anything to do with you. I'll be like, well, I'm sorry that you think like that, but I'm not changing my mind. I've had a good look at this for over 40 years. Sometimes people ask me, how long did it take you to prepare this message? Well, this one took 40 years. (laughs) So you get started. Um, All right. So it's not an absolute. I can agree with someone who holds a different point of view. There are pastors in the Fremantle region who I'm in relationship with who hold a different view. Not just about women, but on a number of things. But we keep a focus on Christ and how we can partner together for the advancement of God's purposes. So this is why in terms of making sure you understand your own belief system and not have things in the absolutes that shouldn't be there. There's a whole list of them I could give you, but I'm not because we want to focus on this one. So one of the things when we're asking the question about what women can do, we have to say, well, what is it? we want to say, what does the Bible say? Is that a good question? Is that a good statement? What does the Bible say? All right. So we, we looked at 1 Timothy 2 um, this, this morning, but I want to uh, go differently. Uh, we will go to 1 Timothy, but first of all, let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Now, in terms of uh, cultural norms, one of the things that's important, and I might have said this already this morning, but in case I haven't, let me say it again. Or if I haven't said it, let me say it for the first time. When you read the Bible and it has the word church in your Bible, you ought not to imagine this. You ought to imagine house church. That's your context. That's important, right? House church, context. Men, women, children, families together. So Paul is giving instructions. Now remember he's writing to people who have come from a... a, we'll call it a completely non-Christian background. They've come into Christ. They've given their allegiance to Jesus as Lord and they're learning to obey him, but they're having to unlearn things from the culture. Could give a long explanation about that, but it's it's true for us today as well. So, One of the things that Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians, and remember his letter is written as a letter. How many of you write letters with chapters and verses? The answer probably is none of us do. So we need to understand that the chapters and the verses were were inserted later, not by Paul, but by people way later. I think 12th and 13th century. And simply as a way for people to find things much easier in terms of referencing and all those kind of things. But Paul wrote letters. So so 1 Corinthians 11, he's got instructions for public worship. So public worship is when people have got together to worship Jesus publicly or in the house, if you like. He's got things about, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here and there's a whole lot about head covering and about men and women and what they should and shouldn't have going on. But if you look at verse 4, a man dishonours his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. Anyone with a hat on this morning? Any bloke with a hat on should be... Just just slip that into my pocket. But a woman dishonours her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. So some of the wives are now reaching for the men's hats. <laughs> yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. Okay, so he goes on and he says, uh, go, jump down the bottom. Isn't it obvious that, and it's disgraceful, for a man to have long hair? I had a ponytail once. After I read this verse, I knew this verse anyway, because I don't think, anyway, isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? Isn't it obvious? Isn't it obvious? 
It's disgraceful for a man. Isn't long hair a woman's pride and joy? For it's been given to her as a covering. But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this and neither do God's other churches. Now, go over to 1 Corinthians. So, so 1 Corinthians 11, what's Paul saying? Women, women ought to pray or prophesy with their head covered. Okay? All good with that? That's the summary. There's a lot more going on, but we'll leave it there. So if you go over to 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35, and again, this is part of a longer section. Most people would agree that chapters 11 through to 14 are all dealing with public worship and what that should look like. And what's chapter 13 in the middle of all this? Okay, so it's very important to understand that love is preeminent in public worship as well as in all of our lives. So when we go into verses 34 and 35, again, Paul says women should be silent during the church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it's improper for women to speak in church meetings. Now, right away, what have you got? Yeah, you've got, you got an apparent contradiction, haven't you? Because chapter 11... It's like women can do it, but they do it with this. They've got to have their head covered. But here, women should be silent. So you go, Paul, hang on a minute. I just need some time out, Paul. Can we just have time out here? Just side huddle over here. Can you just, what do you mean? Like women can do stuff or they can't do stuff? That's the question you have to answer. And so when also we get to First Timothy 2 and we get to verses 12 where again uh, and some of you I unpacked this when we did the DHD material we have to understand that there's a lot going on in that text and one of the things that our translators have have done is um, not help us uh, because in verse 11 it should be woman not women verse 12 it should say I do not let woman to teach men i do not let a woman to teach man that they have authority over them and we talked about the fact that that word for authority is actually a, a word that is translated bullying uh, some some people believe that it came first of all into the language into language as a as a word that that is referencing the power of a sultan to kill people just with their word they have authority to kill people and so one of the things that we know about this word, it's the word, there's, the word authority is used further up in the passage. Um, all those in authority, that's a different word. This word that Paul uses in verse 12 is the only time it's used in the entire Bible. So that tells us immediately that Paul's actually referencing something that's a bit different to the other types of authority that are, that are used, where the, other words are used in the Bible. And I believe it's best to translate that I don't allow a woman to bully a man. And I also don't allow a man to bully a woman with her teaching. Now we understand that in Ephesus at this time, the temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the world, or Artemis as she is known. That was a, that was a religious cult that dominated the Ephesian city where men were only allowed to participate or serve in that temple if they were castrated. So we have a lot of cultural dynamics going on when, when we read. And so one of the first things we want to do in the Bible is we don't want to say, what do I think this means? We have to say, what was Paul meaning? which takes us on a journey of discovery about these things. And so when we are trying to answer the question again, can, are there things that are off limits to women in the church? We are actually left with two verses, which are the one I read to you from 1 Corinthians and this one from, from 1 Timothy. We are left with two verses that appear to negate women having a public role and a leadership role, 
But when we look at the way that women, the functions that women have throughout Genesis to Revelation, we see them doing an enormous range of things, including being apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. We see women exercising gifts that God has given to them. We see that the most important thing for any man or woman that's going to have a leadership role is character. They ought to have the character of Christ. They ought to be growing in Christ-likeness. They ought to be teaching people how to grow in Christ-likeness. These are the things that we see over and over again. So, can women be lead pastors and or elders and other leadership responsibilities? Here's where I would say we should land. We ought not to do anything that would violate culture. I know that's a strange answer, isn't it? What I mean by that is we've got friends who are church planters in Iran. Installing a woman in Iran as a pastor... Well, but, I mean, becoming a Christian is a death sentence, So, but being a pastor would be a death sentence. It would be culturally inappropriate. It would cause far more problems than it fixes because that, there's a lot of movement that has to go in that, uh, in that culture, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's a bit more nuanced is what I'm suggesting to you. I, I am saying that I don't believe there are any barriers to women not functioning in leadership roles within the body of Christ because we are meant to be as men and women servant steward rulers as we were in Eden. That's where God wants to take us to be. But sometimes for the sake of the people around about us who we are trying to bring to Christ, we would go, we don't do that. We, we, which is one of the things that Paul teaches all the way through. We often limit our freedoms for the sake of Christ's message going forth. And so we want to do that. But in our context, it, to limit, we, we would be limiting the gospel going forth if we say that there are things excluded from women. That's, what, that's where I've landed. Okay? Now, um, in the circles of absolutes, that's not an absolute. That's an interpretation and a deduction I'm sharing with you. And you are quite free to hold a different opinion. You'll find it hard to function in New Life Church because we, we say women can do everything that a man can do as long as she has the character and gifting and competency for it. Let me just add that. It's not just about, oh, women, oh, great, Wayne, I'll be, I'll be up the front next week. Okay? It's about character. It's about gifting and it's about calling, in essence. If you like, character, competency, and calling. Okay? And no one does it. You don't... You all know how old I am. Yeah. So, when I was 16 years old, I began to teach some younger boys had to follow Jesus. That's where I began. I had three, other, three, three boys. I began to meet with them. So the idea that you kind of get to do stuff up the front without doing the stuff that no one sees, that's, that's a mistake. That's why the secret place is so important. The secret place with God and also, secret, hidden, voluntary service is also really important. The testing and training of people. So, God created male and females as his servant, steward rulers over his creation. And I want to give Jesus the last word this morning. We ought to copy Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. 
Jesus said very clearly that leadership is service, not status. We've made it too much about status, not about service. Leaders serve God and God's purposes in people. And if we make leadership about service and obedience to God, we'll do a lot better. You are all part of the restoration work of Christ. You are all expressing what Christ has done. How he has, he has delivered you. If you are in Christ, you have been delivered. And he is setting you up and he is wanting your relationships to display the wisdom of God and the beauty of God for how males and females ought to function together in a complementary way. Our marriages ought to be like that. Our friendships ought to be like that. But there's clear boundaries and we don't transgress them. We don't cross over them. We aren't there yet, everybody. We aren't there. But let's keep going. Let's continue to pursue him. I want to encourage those of you who are married and come back to the men again. Men, war against passivity. War against passivity and against passive-aggressive behaviour in your family. But let's all pursue the fullness of Christ because he's laid hold of us to demonstrate something to the people around about us of the beauty of him. And we were singing about that early. We were singing about the beauty of God and one of the ways that Non-believers and believers see the beauty of God is in the way that men and women relate to one another. So let's pursue that together. Let's pray together. I want you first of all just to whisper your response to God this morning. I know the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. Just whisper your response. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've been speaking. I thank you that you're at work transforming. I thank you, God, for your eternal plan and purpose. That right at the very beginning, you created males and females in your image. As your ones who you would, they would behold you, they would bear your image and become like you. They would express that over all creation. They were to be servant, steward, rulers of Eden and expand Eden to all of creation. So God, my prayer for us this morning is that you'd capture our hearts afresh with this reality. And you will help us, Holy Spirit. You will teach us how to work this out in the relationships that we have with people around about us. Lord, you know that not every person that in this room who is married, that their marriage is in, is in a healthy place. You know all that. Father, I ask you to reveal to that person how they can display this in their marriage, even with an unbelieving partner, an unbelieving spouse. Or even if it's a believing spouse, God, show them how they can live this out.
God, I ask you, for those who are not married, growing up in a culture, being bombarded by all sorts of different understandings of what it means to express masculinity or femininity, maleness or femaleness. Holy Spirit, I ask you to teach us all that the beauty of God would be seen in this, in us, and in our relationships. That people all around about us would see and know. They would know you, God, because they see your beauty revealed in the way we do relationships as men and women. And God, I also ask you, to continue to raise up men and women in this congregation who will accept the responsibilities of leadership, develop their character, God, form Christ in them. Men and women who are willing to step into the, to the challenges of a leadership role and responsibilities. In a world that's lurching from crisis to crisis, Father, the need of the hour is for men and women who clearly are called by you, appointed by you, who walk with you, and who know how to help others walk with you. God, raise up men and women. Father, I thank you that you speak, so I ask you to call people right now. Speak into their spirit, Holy Spirit. Young boys, young women, older ones, speak into their spirit. You have called them and you've set them apart for your purposes to provide leadership in some way in this body of believers. thank you for your grace upon us and I thank you that you you are not finished with us Lord so for those who are feeling discouraged feeling that the weight of this word upon them this morning feeling like there's, there's a weight of things God I'm asking you to fill them with hope it's not too late it's not too late. Speak hope, Lord. Break in in ways that only you can break in. And reveal yourself to them that would strengthen them and put hope and courage in them, I pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, eternal triune God, Teach us the mutual submission that you have within your very own being. The mutual love and devotion that you have for one another. Teach us that, I pray, that we will be a people who continue to grow and to display you to the ones around about us. This is my prayer for your honour and for your glory. Amen.